0: Then welcome to the MTG Profits podcast. This is your podcast all about Magic: The Gathering, particularly with a focus on the financial aspects of it. So as always, we take a look at things that are happening in the news. Uh, we'll take a look at our buy and sell recommendations, as well as some product reviews. And with me, as always, is my co-host Evan. Hey, everybody. And you are listening to episode forty. Uh, it's a pretty big number, I think,
1: here. Absolutely. Absolutely. 40 weeks at this.
0: I, I, you and know, it's crazy to think about that, huh? Yeah.
1: As always, want to point everybody to the website at mtgprofits.com. And uh, also, uh, please feel free to check that out. Andy puts a lot of effort into that and generates some nice content. And uh, also, there's some YouTube videos up there if YouTube is your thing. So feel free to check that out as well.
0: Excellent. Yeah. So definitely visit us online. And as always, and as we've mentioned before, feel free to, to reach out and email us. We'd love to hear your, your comments and any suggestions, things you like, things you don't like. Let us know. Uh, we can be reached at mtgprofits
1: at com. Very well.
0: So send out a response. We are, we are looking and, and waiting patiently.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Any yeah. uh, any criticism? Any ideas? anything you want to hear about? Please let us know, and uh, we'll incorporate it into the show. Absolutely. So, episode forty, the big four zero. That's right. You got something special planned for us this we week.
0: We do. You know, in all of our, our kind of I don't know ten ten episode chunks, or I guess we we, we try to do something a little more special. And uh, we've had a, a couple guests on in the past for those uh, long term listeners. I hope there's maybe. One or two of you out there or, or so. <laughs> uh, we've had Travis, who was on here, talking about uh, his experience. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have Meg on here to give us some uh, experience from kind of a female perspective on the game. and uh,
1: One of the 3.69% female players.
0: Yeah, exactly. I thought it was
1: 50%, 50%. Well, it depends on who you believe. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's the differing numbers on that. That counts.
1: Yeah.
0: But uh, for our, our 40th here, we are fortunate enough to have another guest. So we have with us Gail Turner. And he, well, well, not a professional magic player or even amateur magic player. He is definitely... Uh, could going to speak to us more probably on, on some of the kind of more of our, our financial aspect and, and some of the other, um, I don't want to say, like I guess uh,
1: uh, Just general life and
0: general, life general trends that we've kind of covered and, and some things about kind of the, the nature of, of communication and, and marketing and podcasting and, and, and some of that uh, kind of topic as well. And I think he, he'll bring to us kind of a, and to all of us here, a, kind of a fresh perspective uh, on some of these things and, and also some of his, his personal experience on, you know, topics kind of we um the finance topic itself. And, and I think we we focus, you know, particularly in the arena of there's a, there's a uh, uh, <laughs> tag for you in the arena of magic. But, you know, the broader aspect of that is kind of finance and investing. And I think there's a lot of overall general principles uh, in that as well. So yeah.
1: without bring him in. Yeah. yeah, so without further ado, Gail, are you, you on the line with us?
2: I am. I am. <clears throat> I was just wondering how long the intro was gonna go in. I, I know, I, I was
0: kinda of dragging that a little bit. That's <laughs> right. I
2: I I could hear a drum roll in the background, it was just building to a crescendo.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, and I, I know you've got a, a pretty diverse background, Gail, and I, I was you know struggling to, to try to think about how to capture all of that, because I, I think you've done things from consulting to
2: things in the, the theater world and, and more. So, well, w- when you look over the stern of my career, it looks like there was a drunk at the helm, but there has, there has been a, a, a true north that I have navigated by, and ironically, it's been story. I, I I began performing on stage at age four and did my first professional show when I was 15, but I had already become an entrepreneur when I bought my first business at 10, and, and that has pretty much been the the tone of my career. I've vacillated back and forth between the business side of the performing industry and then uh, and actually performing. So from 20 to 40, I was a an actor and a director and a producer, and My colleagues and I wound up running the most prolific theater company in the nation, doing almost 1,500 performances a year, touring from Charleston, South Carolina, up to Philadelphia. And and then I got a little too big for my britches, and I I wound up taking over a a much larger venue that 20 months later I was living in a basement. I I always say it was better than graduate school because I was only broke. I wasn't in debt. (laughs) <laughs> from from there a, a, a former actor who was running a soft drink company gave me a job as the marketing director and and that's what a BFM theater prepares you for obviously to become the marketing director for a soft drink company and sure makes from, sense. from there i got hired away by the advertising agency that i hired and I, I did not want the job and i said well i'll tell you what if you let me produce and direct all your tv and your radio i will take the job and they They said yes, and so eight months later, I'm president of the agency, and it became clear why they had hired me. They were desperate. They were losing money, so I did my first merger. Uh, I then went on to run another advertising agency, and one day I was doing a thing called the Artist Way, which is a, a process for retrieving your creativity, and... I came to the decision that I'd always wanted to make a movie, and that if I if I didn't go off and do that, no one was going to come up and say, Gail, here's the money to go make a movie." And I'd been working eighty hours a week, and my wife wanted me to get her another job, so I quit. And, and she oh. said, "She said, no, what? What? No, no, I wanted you to get another job. I didn't want you to quit and go, you know, go make a movie." So I, I'm out there trying to raise funds when a consulting firm called me and they said, "We hear you're on the street," and I said, "No, no, no, I'm making a film, and I'm actually looking for investors." and By the time the conversation was over, they had offered me more money for working six days a month than I had been making working 80 hours a week, and I I was too dumb to pass a blood test, but I I did latch onto that one, and so I I spent seven years uh, traveling the world teaching advertising agencies how to get new business, and then on 9-11, I was teaching the boss's son my job in Detroit, and the handwriting was on the wall, that my days were numbered there, so I started my own firm, which... Uh, after a series of mergers and acquisitions grew into an international firm with eight offices around the world. And then I had reached a point because I was doing a lot of work with private equity. This is back right before the the bottom fell out in 08. And I had reached a point where I'm speaking from the the pulpit or the, the lectern at their conferences and basically calling them all robber barons. And saying that they were you know basically the scourge on the the global economy and and a fellow looked at me and said you know i 'm not sure whether you're going to shoot one of them or they're going to shoot you, but you might want to consider a different pitch from the from the pulpit and so i I stepped down as the the managing partner and and became the the chairman of the board of the firm, and came back to Richmond and decided to open another uh, consulting firm focusing on leadership development. And a few months later, I get diagnosed with cancer. And so by the time I'm, that's 11 years ago, and by the way, I'm I'm cancer free, thank the Lord. And by the the time I came out of that, I, I found myself being called to go back to the world of the arts. And so... I started a little thing called the Storyteller's Channel about seven years ago, and that's what I do these days. And so I've gone from performing to into the world of marketing communications, into the world of business intelligence slash marketing, then management consulting, and now I'm running the Storyteller's Channel. So this makes me completely equipped. Uh, Well, actually... There is part of my life I did not mention that might make what I have to say relevant here. And that is that I was a professional card player and a backgammon player for years, as well as I used to read the tarot for money. So generally my experience with card decks has been 52 because I'm unwilling to play wild cards or just the major arcana because I only look at the world in in, um, primary colors. So I, I might have some value to offer here, but that's, I've talked enough about me. What what would you <laughs> well, what would you like to talk that's remotely I, relevant to what we're here for? Well, I, I think you, you hit on a number of
0: points there, Gail. I mean, I, I think first off, I think you're you're evidently uh, qualified to to talk to us, and certainly on this topics that we have, especially uh, you know around finance and, and marketing, and and as you just mentioned in, in, in earlier too about the you, you do have some uh, I guess experience in card gaming, maybe of a slightly different flavor, but... Certainly competitive. Yeah, certainly the competitive nature, so uh, I think... Um, you know, I, w-
2: we- I was very lucky. My father was a professional card player as well. I-, I, have, I believe he always had a construction company so that he could show the IRS that he had a visible means of income, but his, <laughs> his gift, uh, I started playing cards with him when I was five, and I-, I just wanted to be able to handle the cards with Flash, and he said... I'm going to teach you how to play so well that you're going to win more than you lose. And people don't like that. And so they're going to look for reasons to believe that you're cheating them. So I can barely shuffle a deck of cards. But as he used to say, this isn't about ego. This is about us feeding the family. So when I would sit down at the table, he used to say, if, if you don't know who's throwing the party within the first 20 minutes, it's you. And you ought to pick up your money and go home. So I've, I've been very fortunate. Anybody- or whether it was backgammon or, or poker or gin or spades or whatever the case may be the the focus was on there's only fifty two of those damn things, so it's not like yep. this is that it's not that complicated an issue so if you just pay attention and fortunately math was a was a gift of mine so yeah i I do like I do like and cards, but last time I was playing cards for for money, I'm driving across the mountains in L.A., headed back to my office in Altadena at about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'm dozing off, and I went, this is ridiculous. I have been the big winner tonight, and I am going to die on the highway. I just don't have the stamina for this anymore. So nowadays, when I see people playing cards, I smile and go back to work.
1: Well, so I would place for everything. So, mm, mm. uh,
0: Exactly, exactly. So it was your, your father that kind of taught you how to play and, and got you into it?
2: From day one. And, and when I went, I, I started college reading architecture at uh, Trinity Hall at the University of Cambridge in England. And there were a, a whole bunch of boys from Georgia there, and they all saw themselves as riverboat gamblers. And I was so happy for them to see themselves that way, because quite frankly, they were constantly having to write home to Mom and Daddy for money to the point at which the um, the man who was the head of the college brought me in to ask why the other students were having these problems. And I went, they're adults, aren't they? Yeah, and they're, yeah. So there was there was a long conversation, and I just went back to my room because would, they would close the pubs at 10 o'clock, as you know, and our curfew uh-huh. was 11. And I, there were 15 young men on my stairwell, and I was the only one who knew how to cook. And so I would... Make food for them at about ten thirty at night, and then I would sit down at the card table playing with the money they'd paid for me to cook for them, and we'd play until we were tired. I, I tried to sleep in the first day I was there, but the bells of um, of Keys College, which was nearby, went off, and I, I I thought they were in the room with me. So from then on, I would get up in the morning and go have breakfast a block away just to be away from those damn bells. And then while everybody else went to class, I would catch a nap, and then the routine would start again. So while it wasn't a good academic experience, it was a it was a good experience in money management, I will say that.
0: Cool. And <laughs> what was the game that you were playing?
2: Primarily <laughs> poker. This poker. was this was yeah. long before Hold'em became popular, so it was either five card stud or you know, or seven card draw. Or give me five card draw or That's seven wrong. card draw uh, to Yeah. Seven
1: card draw sounds bad. Yeah. Awesome.
2: Yeah. You know, once again it's been a long it's been a long time but what I what I loved about all this is that, you know, there were certain rules that I played by many of which I don't remember anymore, but if you didn't have it, you just got out of the hand as quickly as possible. It wasn't about how many hands you played, it was how quickly you got out of a situation. And it what always got me was people thought they could bluff and Let's face it. Unless you're playing for serious money, any damn fool will call your bluff. So that was not a, a an effective way to play. So, and then of course you you play a little gin while you're on the side, just for you know five, ten, twenty bucks. And after a while, you got to take the girls out to dinner and take the train down to London and go to the theater. And and unfortunately, when I got back to the states, my father's response was, "What are you going to do now that you've blown the biggest opportunity in the history of the family?" And This was back when they were offering that all-expense-paid vacation in Southeast Asia where they would send you Mm. to that little spa down in South Carolina, and then from there they'd uh, they'd give you new clothes and toys and drop you off in the jungles of Vietnam. So I I convinced him to loan me enough money to go a semester of school, and if I paid it back, he'd loan me the next one. And when I hear people talk about, well, I paid my way to school, I'm like, guys it cost me 198 dollars a semester when i started college so the the economics of that world have changed a bit as well so
1: yeah yeah nothing uh, nothing increases faster than college tuition at least uh,
2: no. nothing no. Uh,
1: here in the states at uh, an average of 6.8% per
2: year i believe so well, I tell you, it, I, I took 17 years getting my bachelor's because I kept leaving and starting businesses and going back to school, and I paid more for my last credit hour than I paid for my first semester. So I, I do recognize that inflation.
1: Absolutely, it's 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 painful. Oh
2: yeah, I, and now as a parent, I'm thankful that my children are done. <laughs> that, that's the good news one one got one got her master's from the ram center at bcu and the other um it runs a stable and decided she wasn't going to go to school and i keep trying to convince her that that was a mistake and she keeps saying daddy i'm i'm an entrepreneur so there you go oh, yeah. She yeah may be right she may be right so, he may, right. may, may be, be.
1: You, you, you watch her prove you're wrong <laughs> well
2: yeah. you no know, i i i'm thrilled that she has followed her passion. I had hoped that her passion would be the theater. Her mother was an actress and I thought that you know we ha- we'd have an acting dynasty, but she has been passionate about horses since she was 4 years old and at 35 now she runs a stable and she is widely respected for what she does and she's got her own house and she's got health insurance. So, you know, I sure I, I, did not, I did not yeah, exactly. that, I did not have those things at 35, so I'm very proud of her. There you go. Sounds
1: pretty good. <laughs> there you go. Excellent.
2: So, so you were saying Gale, that when you were playing cards,
0: you had a a, a strategy or, or rules that you kind of use while
2: you were playing. Very clear. Very clear. Yeah. They're, 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 and I, I I would I would pull those back for a moment and think in terms of investing because when you and I began this conversation a while ago, mm-hmm. you were talking about you know trying to find investors for your new card game. Yep. And the conversation that I was, I was having with you in a, over coffee related to, you know, you're going to put together a business plan that lays out, you, you think you know who your audience is, you think you know um, what, the, what they desire, you've got a sense of your price point, and most likely, you know, you're even going to be laying out how you think you're going to distribute it, whether you're going to sell direct online or you're going to find a, a store somewhere or chains or whatever to, to sell through retail. All of that's well and good, but I will tell you that in the end, the investors are are then going to stop back once you've sort of passed their litmus test there, and they're going to look at the bios of the men and women that you put together on your team, because Mm -hmm. in the end, my experience has been that the vast majority of times, the assumptions that we begin with turn out to be wrong, Uh, and then from there, what you find yourself having to deal with is how are you going to, well, the, the current term for this is pivot. But in the old days, the language I would use was tap dance on ice as you try to figure out how you're going to respond to, well, the, the truth of the matter has turned out to be something other than what we suspected. And so looking for folks who have dealt with adversity, looking for folks who have failed and then come back again, folks who have proved to be, I think the current uh, word is resilient is something that they're going to be looking for. So this doesn't absolve you of, you know, coming up with doing your due diligence to begin with, you know, a clear understanding mm-hmm. of the of what you perceive to be the market, you know, what your point of differentiation is, you know, vis-a-vis your competitors, uh, sure, how yeah. how you think you're going to maintain a relationship, you know, once you're there. But in, they're also going to be looking very closely at your team. So. The whatever the rules may be, uh, when I remembered sitting at the card table, there were some men that I played with that all you had to do is goad them and their ego would not let them back down. There, There were other men that you sat at the table with, quite frankly, and you had to watch them very closely because they were watching you very closely. And if there was any indication that, you know, you didn't have a grasp of what you were doing, you could begin to hear the Jaws uh, theme in the background, you know. So. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when I played backgammon, I used to love to just sit there and hum that, which did not make me a very popular person, but yeah. it, it it would kick off the other guys to where, once again, they were being emotional versus rational. That's right. so, the, so the the so those guidelines, whatever they may be, they, they're always, my daddy used to say that rules were made for people who cannot think for themselves, but... But rules are a good place to start. Some sort of a sense of you know what's the what's the metric that I'm looking for? What's something I can live with? Mm-hmm. Anything that seems too good to be true, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about something that's probably very political right now. But you know we, we've got all this argument about China right now, and everybody's all upset because they are um, stealing our IP. Nobody said you had to go and take American jobs over there, you know, to get it done cheaper. And then, oh, we have to give your IP, and now you've done it, and now they are, you know, whining and moaning and complaining. I I don't understand why the uh, stockholders did not fire the boards of directors and the senior management that did this to begin with. It was a bad deal. So when when you're looking at something that seems too good to be true, generally it is. So. The, the guy who every now and then would, would beat me because he'd drawn to an inside straight, I love that guy because he was going to chase that inside straight for the rest of his life. And I'd win more money off him when he screwed up trying to chase the odds like that than what I lost on that one hand that he got lucky. Yeah. so So when you're looking at what you're doing... You know, Yes, it's good to have a set of guidelines, mm-hmm. whatever they may be, and, and you can ask people who are in the business, and they'll tell you what they've got, but in the end, it's going to boil down to you making the decisions you can live with that fit your values.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. That's right. I, I hope
2: so. My wife's not in the room. She, you know, I can see her looking at me and just <laughs> shaking her head, but she's not, so I'm okay right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very good. So essentially control the things that you can control and leave the less, the rest up to luck, essentially.
2: Uh, or fortune, yeah. Danny used to say luck was where preparation met opportunity. So I've been a lucky man. I will, I'll be the first one to say that.
0: <laughs> and I think you kind of touched on it as well, kind of having that, I guess, you know, the the, the kind of rational, logical, you know, rules and things to follow, but also – Paying attention to the the emotional, uh, I don't want to say the like, kind of people aspect of it as well while you're you the know, human
2: element. The human element. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I have people and playing that as well. I, I was instrumental in in crafting the brand for over 100 advertising agencies around the world, and I have been in and out of. I would say to you uh, a couple of hundred uh, businesses in at least a dozen different industries. And the one thing that I can tell you they all have in common is people. And so their problems are almost always uh, communication issues. They are uh, people who make decisions that seem irrational because it turns out that somebody in the equation has a piece of information the other doesn't have. I'm not saying the information is right. It's just that somebody's using criteria the other doesn't have. And eventually, that trust or lack of trust ends up eroding the the organization. And there's a there's a thing that Stephen Covey's boy um, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey is his name in his little book Speed of Trust talks about. It. He calls it the trust tax. And when when trust goes down, things take longer and cost more. And when trust goes up, they happen faster and they cost less. So back again. To not trying to get something for nothing, you know, trying to deliver a product that meets a need, price it fairly, uh, and and try to have something that's a sustainable relationship with your customers versus trying to uh, gouge them. For example, I would never play cards with my clients, nor would I ever play golf for money with my clients. They they would always want me to you know to uh, you know, put some money on the game, and I just look at them and say, how much would you like me to write the check for right now? Because I don't want you to ever look at me and think that I took something from you.
1: Yeah, that it, sounds it, like a bad
2: policy. Yeah, 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 no, so yeah. yeah. Not a good way. If I sat down to play cards with you, you should be forewarned. My intention is that I'm going home with your money, and you're going home broke. I mean, that was my mindset. It, you know, winning was... Sure. Cool. In a in a business relationship, if if you don't have a win-win, it's not sustainable. And and you might have the leverage right now that you can you can you know hold the guy over a barrel, but trust me, every ladder you go up and those people you walk over on the way up, you're likely to meet them on the way back down. And there's nothing more um, enjoyable than payback. So having a a trust. Uh, first of all, being worthy of trust, and then being able to have you know. Trusting relationships between your suppliers, between your mm-hmm. employees, your customers, your investors, in the in the long run, is a, a much better deal than going for that short term win. Uh, I'm sorry, I can sense somebody wants to say something.
1: Yeah, it, it seems like this is something that uh, Wizards of the Coast could learn from, as far as that con- as far as that's concerned. When it comes to producing a value for your customer, the uh, one of the chronic problems that we have with the uh, The company that produces the cards that we uh, typically um, would recommend uh, as an investment product has the the penchant for um, sort of producing a product that is sort of, um, I guess, limited in demand in the hopes of sort of generating a quick buck at the detriment of the long-term fan base. And uh, that sort of comes back to what you were saying earlier. When you said uh, you sort of need to produce a product that people want and produce it at a, you know at a fair price and sort of keep them keep them wanting more essentially is, uh, is is what I got out of
2: that. Well, where where I would go with this specifically is that look you know there's nothing wrong with making a profit and one of the things that my dad who as, as I mentioned had a construction firm. He would sometimes turn a bid back to a subcontractor and say, give me a bid here where you can make a living off of. And other contractors would say to him, why do you care? And he'd say, well, because eventually it's going to be a Friday afternoon and I want him finishing up on my job. But what he's going to be is someplace starting another job so he can make a draw, so he can make payroll, because he didn't price this right. it's It's better for me to have subcontractors that I can depend upon so that, you know, we can we can be sure we're going to be deliver the right product to our, our client our customers. And so when we find ourselves in a situation that we're we're going for the quick buck, okay, you know, burn me once, shame on you. You know, yeah. burn me twice, shame on me, right? That's and right. so so people will look for a way, they'll start looking for a way either to pay back or find another supplier.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah,
2: and I, I was thinking
0: the same thing as, as you were. I think dev along the same lines with so Wizards of the Coast, who, who produces Magic the Gathering. You know that whole idea of, of, of advertising and, and kind of treating your customers right and the message. You know another thing we've we've discussed recently is a lot of their some of their newer products, their product launches have been disasters. Uh, they've had they've released products but did not have enough product. Uh, I, I'm thinking particularly of, uh, what was it, the, the Mythic, uh, which one was it? I believe it was uh, the
1: Mythic Edition, uh, War,
0: of the War, yeah,
2: War of the the Spark.
0: War Spark. Yeah, they they mentioned that they were going to have limited supply, and then they oversold it, then they had to do refunds, and then that was a, a nightmare. And it just left the, the, the consumer base very upset, even to the point where some people filed lawsuits against them, and uh, they had to do kind of some... Well, it was, I'd say, partially their fault. Yeah, I mean, yeah. eBay did share some of the responsibilities as their uh, platform from actually selling the the product. Um, it, it was just horribly mismanaged, and as yeah, as Dev said, like they actually they had to do some damage control and, and provide some some free product to people as a kind of a, a makeshift of apology, but. And the, and the problem is, is as well is this wasn't the first time.
2: Was I was going to say, I was gonna say had, had this been the first time this had happened, people might have cut them some slack. But the senseless exactly this, right. appears, this appears to be a trend. Consequently, now people give them, um, well, they give them the worst motives, whether whether yes. it was an innocent mistake or not, because it it appears to be a a, a pattern a of hate. Theme. That's right. right. It, that's
1: exactly right.
2: And so yep, how do you find? So how do you find another? producer for you
1: you know that's that's the thing right now The essentially the company that produces these cards has a a relative monopoly on them and uh and part of the reason for that is due to their sort of first mover status Uh, much like almost any other product the first guy to market tends to have a relatively substantial competitive advantage and that's true of almost any product and uh, due to the size and longstanding nature of their product, they, um, they have the capability of abusing their, I guess, their customer base and their fan base to an extent that many other companies uh, would, would, could only dream of. And, um, and so they, they lose, I think, more people through attrition and their own sort of mismanagement than uh than uh game design or interest in the game so so you
2: guys you guys have if you guys have a new card deck right I' mean, a new card game that you're marketing that you have it's, in development
1: not a no, not currently it's not sort of our our focus right now what we what we are typically uh doing is essentially trying to uh i guess work the market to our advantage as these cards have actual value associated with them. So they can be treated almost as an investable product.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: what happens is uh, typically as the cards age, they become more valuable. But with uh, sort of appropriate attention being paid to the current cards, they, uh, it, it, it sort of presents an opportunity to buy and sell these cards that um, you know, you, essentially like a stock, you buy them low and sell them high. So there's and a second, uh,
2: there's a secondary there's a market. market. To the uh, start. Absolutely, yeah, That's it exactly has created
0: right. a whole market around this.
1: Right, and it's uh, it's a, sort of a substantial ecosystem similar to almost any uh, almost any uh, tradable good. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a there's there's a little bit of skill and. Uh, a little bit of luck in assessing sort of what to buy when and what to sell when. And, um, the company that produces the cards, uh, tends to, uh,
0: which the coast.
1: Yeah, they just tend owned to, owned
0: frust- by Hasbro, <laughs> frustrate the,
1: uh, the living hell out of, uh, out of, out of individuals like ourselves sometimes. But, uh, so that's, uh, that's sort of where uh, sort of where we are with that. So
0: you know, given you know a case like this, Gail, with a a, a big company that's kind of had a, a stranglehold on its 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 consumers, and you know they're making these types of blunders. What what's kind of their their path forward as far as how to address these kind of things, or how, how would they after they make a horrible mistake, what would be a, a better reaction to it? I guess. You know,
1: it's funny because uh, what Gail said earlier was uh, in in regards to the people, it's, it, it, you, you get the strong sense that uh, you have a substantial level of incompetence at sort of the upper echelons of this company that essentially manufactures a game. And um, there don't seem to be any repercussions for what I would consider relatively epic failures. <laughs> and, uh, so, and, and I think given enough time And and seeing these these sort of inappropriate failures, (laughs) continual failures, you will get, you know, people that are just disenchanted and uh, and frustrated. And I think to Gail's point earlier, he said, yeah, you know, it's all about the people and you get good people and you get people that'll that'll assess a problem, correct a problem. You're willing to give those people a chance when you don't see any changes being made. You eventually get sick. And uh, you 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 quit drinking the spoiled milk.
2: I I, I love that metaphor. I, I was going to say to you the, the two stories come to mind. The first, of course, is David and Goliath. Uh, that that being said, the world of marketing, everybody's always talking about share of market, right? Mm-hmm. And for for me, I'm quite I'm I'm more of a brander, quite frankly, than I am a marketer. So what I'm interested in is share of wallet. I'm interested in a relationship with a, a small community of people who um, I can have a. Uh, we'll call it well on this on this anniversary of D-Day we can call it on or I guess the eve of D-Day we can That's call right. it. A, we'll call it a beachhead, but you can have a you can have a beachhead that you can stabilize with a group of people that you know are willing to go deep into their wallet for you, and then you can once you own it you can grow from there. And and the classic example was when hydraulic lifts came along and basically ate steam shovels, uh, you know, lunch. Are you guys familiar with this story? Yes. You know, the the whole concept of... Well, the the steam shovels were the the machinery for, you know, heavy construction and excavating. And when the guys came along early on with hydraulics, they, they just weren't sufficiently developed to be able to do the same kind of work that a steam shovel did, but they could do smaller projects. And so they began to eat away at the the margins of the steam shovel business. And they, as they grew, they took money and reinvested in improving their product. And eventually, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a steam shovel around, you know, lately. <laughs> so they, they completely ate their lunch, right? That's right. So when you when you look at somebody even as big as Hasbro, that you know looks like a, a behemoth, that how could anybody possibly compete with them? Looking for that of the crop that top you know one five ten percent of the of the market that's currently you know engaged in these products and looking for a way to build some sort of an affinity group some sort of a some sort of a we'll call it a club for lack of a better word Um, and and from that group to be able to begin to service them and you will gradually attract others to you, and now i 'm assuming that there is there are copyright issues with this this uh, these card games that we 're talking about that they must own that card game uh, that Certainly. copyright right Absolutely. you yeah. know
1: but what you 're saying is is pretty much on target, really couldn 't be any more on target they, uh, the uh, their Their competition comes not from the same cards but uh, sort of different types of games that are in a similar vein. And um, those cards are actually more digital. And uh, I don't know if you're if you're familiar with um, with a game called Hearthstone, and uh, it's a, it's an all digital game. And uh, they have taken the the approach that you mentioned before, where you you sort of take a few high uh, I guess highly interested, highly invested game players. And Experts, um, I'd say. yeah, and um, the people that are willing to pay for your product and grow the bait grow the product from that dedicated base. Um, in this, uh, in this, uh, I guess milieu, th- those those people are referred to as uh, whales.
2: So mm-hmm. what you that's do what, is that's what they uh, call them in the gambling world too. Go ahead. A whale. <laughs> <laughs> a,
1: a whale. That's right. So you'll, you'll what you what they'll. So the, the, the strongest competitor to Magic doesn't charge anything to play their game. They uh, You can play the game for free. And what will happen is you'll get a lot of people that are interested. They say, oh, my God, I can play this game for free, whereas this game that Hasbro produces, I have to pay for every card that I have. So let me try the free game. And then what, the, uh, what the, the Hearthstone company does, which is like Activision Blizzard, is they yep. say, well, you know what? We'll sell you cards so that you can you know, get there faster, or we'll sell you something that makes your stuff look more interesting. And you get that dedicated player base who, who pays a substantially, a substantially larger portion of the, I guess, income that that game generates. So what they're trying to do is get a lot of free players so that the people that love and are willing to pay for the game are interested in continuously shelling out copious amounts of money. So those are, those are your whales. So you've got your little <laughs> fish, and uh, you know, they're, not, uh, they're not paying much into it, but the whales more than make up for it. Well, this, and, is a,
2: this is a classic you know, market segmentation strategy and the the in the world of of artists I, I'm always annoyed by the concept of a starving artist the, the The most creative people in the world can't figure out how to eat it just the whole concept just pisses me off mm-hmm. but if if you the, there's a rule of thumb up that says if an artist can find a thousand people who give a damn about him or her, they can segment that audience and say the say the top fifty to one hundred. They will, you know, they'll buy everything they put out, right? And let's say yep. the top, the, the bottom, you know, one, two to 300 are not going to do anything other than just talk about them, right? But that community is the sort of a, uh, a tipping point for, for momentum. My, I run a newsletter right now that I, I send out that revolves around Edgar Allan Poe's work. And I'm at about four. I'm over four thousand subscribers right now, and I'm expecting to break ten thousand before the year is over. Great. When I hit when I hit that ten thousand mark, it's my intention to unveil a paid uh, subscription, a la what YouTube did with YouTube Red. Yeah. So the, mm-hmm. the idea being, and most importantly, what I've been doing is just paying attention to the analytics that I have between you know Facebook and the the open rates and, and what I know about the people who are my subscribers so that I can understand you know what it is they want and eventually like I say by 2020 my expectation is that I will have a paid subscription group and then we will continue to to grow the the whole but by having created a um, what's so a premium product here sure. They become the group that I must give the bulk of my attention to, so my assumption is with this group that 's doing the online digital or the digital you know version of the game yep. what 's crucial for them is their relationship with these folks, and from there, the rest of it just sort of runs down like that triple down theory that does not work in taxes but does work in in the business world
1: that 's correct that 's exactly right, and you know the the more smaller fish you have you 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 generate you know you you have that dedicated group, they essentially fund your operations, and you cast a wide net to find more people that are dedicated. So that's exactly right. And There's a lovely book uh,
2: called, called Read. you want to say something, uh, Andy?
0: Uh, I was just going to say, I, I think um, the other way that they, they were very smart too was I mean, they, they came into an area where Wizards and Magic the Gathering were extremely weak, the whole online uh, digital aspect of it where – Wizard's has had a an online uh, kind of gaming product, but it's been notoriously it's been sort of
1: the, uh, uh, the, the unwanted of, the redheaded stepchild. Yeah,
0: it's been out of date and it, it didn't work very well and it was kind of ugly and, and it's just you know something they never really were able to do right. And uh,
2: well, it's a whole, whole other skill set. It is. It, it, it is. is. It is. It's like looking at. I'm really good at radio, so now I'm going to go produce TV. It's a. Yeah. It's a totally different world, and yep. and and needs the respect that that it requires. Yeah.
1: They certainly did not pay it the respect it needed, and really just did it in a half-assed fashion. So that's exactly, and they paid the price for that. Yeah, they paid the yeah. price
0: big time, and, and Hearthstone took that and they, 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 they uh, <laughs> gobbled it up with, with delight because they they did a, a great job of it. And they addressed a lot of the shortcomings that the Magic the Gathering game has. So they, they made it better in the, in the process.
2: And it would seem to me, too, that this, this presents a, an, an opportunity of a model that can be replicated against other comparable games, whether, it's, whether they are um, produced by Hasbro or anybody else in the industry. These, these guys, are, Heartstone, is that how it's pronounced? Or Hearthstone. Yeah. Hearthstone. Hearthstone. Hearthstone has laid forth a model that could be replicated. Now, whether they have the ability and the passion to replicate it or whether they've just presented a blueprint for others who wish to step into comparable voids, the, the dissatisfaction and the, the sense of betrayal that the current customers feel by the way they're being treated reminds me of a a client of mine years ago whose name I will not use because they behaved so badly, but they used to be number one in their field and they were incredibly arrogant. And they they moved all their manufacturing to Mexico and they had some manufacturing uh, defects that were causing their customers serious discontent. And when I interviewed their customers, it was as though they were spouses Whose, whose, you know, significant others had been unfaithful to them. They yeah. so saw themselves as, as this company's brand, but they could no longer trust them anymore. And that, that sense of betrayal, we tried to encourage our client to just come out and do a mea culpa and say, what do we have to do to, you know, to bring you back because we, we made a mistake. But they just could not bring themselves to acknowledge this. They were willing to replace the product, but they, they weren't able to replace the labor cost and the profit margin that they had taken from the, the, the contractors who used their products. And so, you know, Hasbro, you were asking earlier what Hasbro could do, and quite frankly, yeah, yeah. step forward and say, look, guys, we screwed up, but we're sorry. Yeah. You know, ty- tylenol did that immediately with the scare years ago, right? You're right. Every, yep, exactly. Everything off the shelf immediately. And in the long term, it, you know, their their credibility and their trust was deeply enhanced, right? right you're, you're looking at uh johnson you know the johnson company right now and the business with the opioids and this is going to be ugly by the time this is done because their their whole argument is you know we didn't have anything to do with this it's the state's job to you know manage these these uh, physicians and their prescribing and i'm i'm sorry i think it's going to get a bounce back on what has you know historically been a a really trusted brand and I think we're going to see a consequence there. So when you look at Hasbro right now, and they're having, you know, basically betrayed the trust of their, their customers, their only hope, I mean, let's face it, they're, they're a behemoth. They can just keep coasting along like they can and saying, oh, we'll just let those ones go by. But that's the beginning of a downward spiral.
1: I think you're right. I think that's sort of the beginning of the end, especially if you, if you continuously do that. You, you sort of poison the well. You know, and eventually, you, know, you, know, you think, well, this is, this is great for the short term. We're producing co- things cheaper, and we're making more money. And look at this. Everybody's still buying our stuff until all of a sudden, they're not. My, my, cl- my, client, yep.
2: thought, my client thought that they were still number one, and the industry was flat, and it turned out they fell to, to third in the market, and number four was, was nibbling away at their lunch. It was a rude awakening for them. A rude awakening for them, and yeah. they just—they just could not bring themselves to. Um, they just couldn't bring themselves to to accept that you have to own your place in this.
1: Yeah, to their long term detriment as well. I, I would as, imagine. As, yeah.
2: as I as they are no longer my client, but the last time I looked, they have not regained their market share. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, this was this was enlightening. I really uh, really appreciate you. Uh, really appreciate your insights and coming on and spending some time with us, Gail. This was fantastic. Absolutely.
2: Well, Any, uh, what's interesting for me, gentlemen, is that I'm 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 only tangential tangentially. I think that's the word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Aware of your industry, and so I'm I'm looking forward to, in my conversations with Andy to learn more about just about your. Uh, I guess what we'll call it, your, yeah. the, the, the pond that you're playing in. has that? Yeah, exactly. You and know, it's so, funny
1: how, how interconnected everything is and um, how you really, you really don't even have to have specific product knowledge to understand how the world works. You know, it, it shows that, you know, experience
2: matters. I, I used to tell people all the time, my greatest asset here is that I don't know jack about your business, so I'm not walking in here with any assumptions. I'm just going to listen I'll tell you what I heard. I'll try to be as clear as I can because the odds are that the answer uh, exists within your organization, and you don't want to hear it from the person that's trying to tell it to you. So I'll bring I'll bring the information to you agnostically, and we can we can detach ourselves from. God, gentlemen, I do about you, but you could say something to me and it would roll off my, uh, my back and if my mother said it to me, I would bristle, right? There are right, just, sure. just some people we don't want to hear things from, right? That's and right. I, I, I find frequently with organizations that that has been the issue. It's the, it's the interpersonal dynamics right. that have gotten in the way either at the customer level, the, the coworker level, the management level, the investor level. In, in the end, it's always about the people. It's always yeah. about the people.
1: Very good. Well, that makes Very sense. good. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's about a wrap. I know. And, uh, I know we've got uh, limited time here, but uh, can yeah. I do a plug before you get off? Absolutely. Please do. By the way,
2: I I ask your listeners that they get a chance to go to storytellerschannel.com dot com and they can download a free audio book of The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe, Excellent. and that will put them on my newsletter. So if and they have, the, if you have any interest at all in Poe, I'm I'm told that it's an entertaining listen.
1: And that's the storytellers.com, it's Storytellers
2: Channel, storytellers.com. Yeah. No the front, just storytellerschannel.com. Right. And I'm sure that Andy's going to put that in print with a live link on, on the site when you put this up. I, I think Absolutely. I will. I think it's going to be you. out there. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. I do appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Very will good. We, we appreciate you uh, joining us here gail and and talking about uh everything from marketing to uh poker and sure. uh you know everything in between
2: well gentlemen yeah. I appreciate being asked it it's always flattered flattering to be asked to dance <laughs> we
1: really appreciate you coming on gail thanks absolutely so thanks again gail
2: good night gentlemen
0: good night good night
2: very ah, good night
0: I think that was uh
1: that was great yeah i think uh let me see we've got uh uh yeah that was fantastic and I yeah i'm gonna to have to uh probably close it down as uh as always uh to all our listeners may uh I know we didn't talk too much about the cards per se you didn't want to, to jump into the our, our news flashes you know we what to... you're actually i'm probably gonna to have to pass however if you wanted to go ahead and hit the news items yourself before signing off i think that would be okay i know we had just a few items and uh If you wanted to sign off uh, a a few minutes later, I think that would work. I've got, uh, I've got some parenting. Yeah, I've got (laughs) uh, some parenting duties. I I I
0: understand. Understand. (laughs) I I might do a really, really quick uh, news run through and then shut it down. Very good. Uh, Very but good. Uh, yeah, I think thanks again to Gail for for joining us here. And, absolutely, uh, and it his, was,
1: his channel was storytellerschannel.com dot com. So
0: absolutely, everybody go check that
1: out. And um, I think great advice for all of us and for for wizards too, if they're listening. <laughs> yeah, that would be fantastic. You know, common sense for for, uh, for <laughs> could could go a long way for wizards of the coast. I think.
0: Uh, absolutely, absolutely.
1: But uh, this is uh, Devin signing off. Have a great weekend. All right.
0: Have a great, uh, great, good night, Dev. uh, Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
1: All right. No problem. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: All right, everyone. We are still out here. Um, Andy's still here and and recording. We've got a couple things in the news this week to share with you. I'm going to run them down really quick for everybody. First off, there was a notice uh, on... June 5th, today actually, from Wizards about improvements to the upcoming card stock. We've talked about this often, about the lack of quality on the the card stock and how flimsy it is. So there was a notice from Wizards that they're going to be introducing um, some new paper uh, with some improvements on the development focus, uh, the the surface consistency for printing, improved card cutting, as well as rigidity and snap. Apparently they had been uh, introducing different cardboard in the Japanese market several years ago, and now they're going to continue this and expand on it. So this is a positive. We're good to see some improvements in the actual physical product. Uh, hopefully uh, that'll continue as the as the game progresses. Next up, also big news, the London Mulligan. There's been... Testing going on the last couple of weeks about this new type of Mulligan system, the London Mulligan. And essentially, in this system, you would each player draws a number of cards equal to their starting hand size, which is normally seven. You can then take a Mulligan. So the starting player would then decide if they want to take a Mulligan. And they would go to the other player, and once everyone has decided, they would do so at the same time take a mulligan, the player then shuffles their hand back into their library, draws a new hand of cards equal to the starting hand size, in this case seven, then puts those cards uh, back, then puts cards equal to that, the number of times the player has taken a mulligan on the bottom of their library in any order. So essentially you would draw seven new cards and keep six and put the one back on the bottom. And then if you wanted a mulligan again, you would put the six cards back, draw seven cards, and put two cards back, etc. So this would essentially get you a much better hand as you're you're getting a larger number of cards in your hand and being able to choose from them. So this might cause some, some contention as far as decks that really count on having certain combinations or certain cards that will remain to be seen, but I think all in all... Uh, This will improve the game and avoid games where you just get shut out due to a poor draw. So good news on that. And that will be going into effect with the Core Set 2020 rules update. And we'll also see that on Magic Online and Magic the Gathering Arena. Other big news here. uh, In the Netflix area, the directors of The Avengers, uh, the endgame, are creating a Magic the Gathering uh, series here for Netflix. So this will be an animated series based on the mythology of the game. We'll see new storylines involving the Planeswalkers. So these directors are Anthony and Joe Russo. He's seen probably Endgame. I hope so. If not, go see it. So we're gonna—they're gonna produce some episodes of this Magic: The Gathering uh, for Netflix. I, you know, I think this remains to be seen. You know, how this is going to turn out, I you know, all all of what we've seen as far as Magic the Gathering with their other attempts to to make out storylines, whether it be in comics or books, has failed utterly. I feel they've been really lackluster and and awful. So we shall see. Uh, I do not have high hopes for this. And last bit of news we have on. Um, in the arena market, if you haven't done it already, go ahead and do this. There's two free codes uh, available now for the stained glass planeswalkers, Obnixilis and Arlen, Voice of the Pack. The code for Obnixilis is Inner Demon. That's all one word, all caps, Inner Demon. And for Arlen, Voice of the, the Pack, her free code for stained glass card version of her is over the moon so all one word capital o capital t and capital m for each of those three words over the moon so redeem that and get two stained glass cards for your collection obnixilis and ardalan voice of the pack with that we're going to end this episode and as always may all your picks be profitable thanks everybody